All right. Hey, Riverhouse, what a joy to be with you. Holy moly. I, I'm saying this in all sincerity. I, I travel a lot and preach, and it is so refreshing to worship with you. Clearly, you have a culture that honors the presence of God. And as hard as or as sad as it is for me to say, that's a rare thing. So don't take that for granted. Don't take these moments that are precious where we're all together in the room for granted. Um, I am beginning to love your pastor. Pastor Jordan is the real deal. I, uh, he's a young man, and I, um, I'm very impressed with his hunger for the presence of God and his humility. Uh, he, is, he has an apostolic calling. He has an apostolic impulse. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that word, you don't have to be too concerned about what that means. He's still figuring that out right now. But it, it will, it, it's not, um, if you come from a context of normal church, you don't have a lens to see the apostolic. But when the church is pioneered by the apostolic, it releases the space for all the other gifts to flourish. But you have to honor that, and you have to let him grow into that. And so I, I really appreciate this, this man who's becoming a friend. I, I, I've gone all over, and it's rare to find the kind of quality that I see in Pastor Jordan and his wife, Jackie. So I'm really, really excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Can I just say something before we jump in? I, got, I have a sermon uh, that I've prepared, but I was praying this morning, and I really wanted to share a couple of thoughts. Number one, um, this is just for those that have ears to hear. Um, your future is dependent on your ability to be obedient to the Spirit and not a playbook. Your, your future as the people of God in this region requires you to hear His voice and obey. And if you try to look left or right, like in Joshua, if you try to imitate or emulate or copy and paste someone else's rule book, you will not be... Um, you will not fulfill your destiny. And that requires everyone, not just leadership, it requires the body that it makes up Riverhouse, Riverhouse, to recognize that it is a corporate mission together, pioneering a new work in this region. Uh, the second thing I sense is that your passion for the presence of God is going to spill over into other churches. So you need to be ready for uh, helping other communities that have no concept of like lingering in the presence those that are used to 59-minute sermon or services total, um, helping them, you know, find expression uh, to really seek the Lord. I, I feel like you're going to gather lots of churches to seek the presence of the Lord. So just test that. But I think there's going to be opportunity for your your dream or your vision in Boise as it is in heaven to be reality, and it's going to be unifying as you show um, other churches. That which leads me to one other point: you are hidden in in humility right now. But there will be a moment where you'll be put on display. And you can't, you can't resist that. God's going to do that work. So don't think, oh, I wish it was like it was. No, the Lord's going to bring you in a transition season. you got to be prepared for that. Those are just off the cuff. You can test that later. I submit to your elders to the, for those things. Does that sound all right? Can I pray um, for the word this morning? Or I'm used to preaching in the morning. <laughs> I'm in California time, so um, it's only an hour difference. All right. Jesus, we pray for you to be in the room again, uniquely a tangible presence 
this, this evening, that your word would be alive and sharp and it would cut through. I pray for um, a fresh perspective on what you're doing in the church today. Awaken our hearts. I pray for those that will hear what I'm about to preach and misunderstand the intention. I pray for courage to take on your strategies and in the power of the Holy Spirit, transform the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In 2004, at the Olympic Games, representing the United States of America, Matt Emmons was going into his third and final shot in the air rifle competition. He was guaranteed gold medal if he hit anywhere on the target. Now, in the three-position air rifle competition, you win or lose based on millimeters over the three shots. You take shots in between heartbeats. We are talking precision. So the remarkable victory he already had in his third and final shot was unlike any other competition. He could hit anywhere on the target, guaranteed gold. Goes to take his last breath. Sorry, his last shot. I'll get you laughing either way. <laughs> Bullseye. Looks on the screen. He goes from first place to eighth place. He hit the bullseye on the wrong target. I feel like the Western church is celebrating hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. Can we talk about that today? You all right? We here? I mean, let's just think for a moment, Western context, right? Never in Western church context have we had more access to the gospel, to great preaching, to worship albums being dropped every other week, podcasts, programs, church building strategies, apps that do everything for you. We have never had more access to Christian stuff. There's church merch for the love of God than this moment in time. And yet, with all of our technological advancements, with all of the access to great preaching and music and podcasts and all this stuff, the Western church is suffering. The Western world is suffering. More people in the new generation are leaving the church in unprecedented numbers. More people struggle today in the Western context with loneliness, depression, anxiety, and suicide. Morality and the immorality in the church is an all-time high, and the character of leadership is an all-time low. Yet we celebrate bullseyes. Mark Sayers brilliantly kind of uh, assesses what's going on in his book, Reappearing Church. He has a clear insight into what's happening and a prophetic call for what God's doing. He puts it this way, our current Western context deforms our hearts and lives in profoundly destructive ways. Big business, big data, and big porn's ability to reshape our inner worlds is unparalleled in human history. 
Therefore, the next great awakening, the next renewal, the coming revival must be centered on our hearts being changed by God. It must begin by replacing the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement with the spirit-filled faith of biblical Christianity. It must offer the renewal of Christ-likeness to those being deformed by our culture in the deepest parts of their hearts. Deformation. That's what's going on right now. Defor, it's a deformation of our hearts. The world in this moment, in this moment in time, has the power to deform people into its image. Another way you could say it is the world is making disciples. And the fruit of its discipleship is exhaustion and burnout and anxiety and depression and loneliness and anger and compulsivity, outrage, a lack of empathy, judgment, addiction, escapist behaviors, an inability to focus. It goes on, an inability to manage stress, victimhood, division, powerlessness and fear. And we as the church cannot compete with the deformation machine that our culture creates. I want you to have a lens tonight for something that's, that you, you have to see. We do not live in neutral territory. You have to see what's happening as a very systematic, intentional deformation of humanity. This is the lens I want you to see tonight. We're going to talk about discipleship. I'll get there in a second. The, the, the phrase that came into my heart when I was thinking of preaching here was this phrase, the, uh, the world is making disciples and the church is building programs and platforms and uh, podcasts. And so that's my hope. Hopefully you can hear it. So how is the world doing this so effectively? That's a question I have. Well, I want you to see this right now. I'm going to give you some, some, some uh, lots of you know, uh, slides, I suppose. How are we being discipled by the world? Number one, by the stories and narratives the world sells us. Every day you wake up, it's a river you're swimming in. Great name, River House. I was in a river today. What's the river called? Boise River, oh, should have known. My boys and I, we, we got on a, um, uh, a rope swing and jumped into the river. It was 57 degrees in that river. I wanted to know. But there was a section that was super mellow, and, but you went out just a little bit, and it just takes you down. You know what I'm talking about? That is the default setting of what we wake up to. The cultural stream, current of our, of our world we live in. And the way it disciples, up, it, it disciples us is through stories and narratives. So you believe things without even having to think about it. And, and I can talk about the obvious things. Like there's this inherent consumeristic materialism that we all swim in. There is this American dream, this competitive nature that we all have based on the context of Western United States that we live in. Um, there's all sorts of narratives. We're being sold every single day through media and streaming platforms and, media, uh, and, and the news, uh, variations of what identity, what our identities are, are. We are being sold these things, taught these, these things, influenced by these things. We're, we're being discipled by the world through unintentional habits. How many of you wake up and grab your phone before you use the restroom? Raise your hands. Or is it after? Raise your hand. Is it before? 
You're like, yeah, or during. Um, (laughs) We have these habits. And and more and more, and, and yeah, there's phone habits, but there's all sorts of unintentional habits we have. And we are, we are a byproduct of what we do without having to think about it. And these unintentional habits now are weaponized by algorithms and AI technology. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're talking to somebody about paddle boards. Next thing you know, you're scrolling through Instagram and there you go. Sale for paddle boards. You're talking about some random place and you get the Google pop-up. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's all around us. Am I the only one that's struggling? Yes, I can tell. I get seven of you over here, two of you. We'll, we'll all talk. I'll go back and forth, all right? It's a long distance between us. Unintentional relationships. We're influenced by our coworkers, by our roommates, by the people we're surrounded by. We're, we're, we're formed by the world through physical and digital environments. It used to be just physical. The space you live, Boise has a cultural influence over you. Some of it is amazing. Can I just say that? Coming from Southern California, there's a pace. There's a lot that I'm really struggling with being here because I really like it. <laughs> Lots of my friends have moved here. Now I see. It's not just the rivers. You have this environmental influence. The spaces that you are living in, the context shapes you, but also your digital environment shapes you, right? You, you are being shaped by these things. Whether you know this or not, you wake up every morning, this is the unintentional formation of the world in your life. On top of that, how many of you know that events and hardships and suffering shapes you? Anyone gone through a divorce? Anyone love, uh, lose a loved one? Those impact your life. All I'm trying to say is that when you wake up, I'm trying to give you a grid. You're being discipled by something, And that something is doing a really good job of forming people into its image. And as long as the church is hitting the bullseye on the wrong target, we won't compete. So what's the target? Well, if you have a Bible, let's look in Luke chapter 6. I I got a couple of passages I want to read. I want to just give you a framework. This will not be uh, life transforming or challenging or any way very smart. In fact, most of my teaching is unoriginal. I'm just letting you know that from the beginning. I'm probably going to quote Dallas Willard, Mark Sayers, John Mark Comer, John Tyson, uh, lots of people. So this is, none of it is my own. So it's all borrowed. Can we just get that out of the way? I feel better. You're going to walk away going, gosh, that guy was really smart. Nope, I borrowed and stole from a lot of people. But Jesus, this is one of the shortest parables. I love this parable. He's talking to uh, all sorts of people at this point. It's his disciples in the crowd and the Pharisees. And he says this parable. He says, hey, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? He says this, the student is not above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Have you ever thought about what Jesus' hope for your life would be? Not like, what do you dream of? What is your goal for life? But what does Jesus hope for your life? What What does he get excited about in you becoming? Well, in this passage, he gives us a clarity of what his expectation was for his followers. Nowhere in scripture can you find the kind of lifeless Christianity we have in the church today. That was a little harsh. Powerless Christianity, consumer Christian, 
You can't find that in the New Testament. You can't find it in the first few hundred years of the church. But in this particular passage, he makes it perfectly clear. What's this parable about? Discipleship. He's talking about discipleship. The, the word blind, he's referring to the Pharisees of his day, the religious leaders. Now, Jesus beats them up in the New Testament. Now, at the time that Jesus spoke, the Pharisees were the good guys. They were the popular ones. They made the law and following God more accessible. They weren't like the Sadducees, the very wealthy and the elites. They, they brought God's law down to the everyday people. But they added all sorts of regulations and oral tradition. And they kept people from God in their pursuit of holiness. They missed the mark. But Jesus, he, uh, he, he, he calls them the blind guides. And they're following a path that leads to a pit. And what Jesus says and what his hope is for you is that you will be a student who's fully trained. There it is. This is Jesus' strategy, and we can't miss it. His strategy was discipleship. Okay, you've heard this word. All right, I get it, Darren, discipleship. No, 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 we don't fully get it, because we would be doing it if we got it. You wouldn't need me to talk about bullseyes and targets in the church unless we got it. For Jesus, the point of discipleship was to become like the rabbi. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus' strategy was not to come in as a CEO or a general. To not come in and build an institution. It was to be a rabbi to 12 dudes who had no clue. And then after three and a half years, he hands over the task to transform the cosmos. And he says, good luck, see you later. He doesn't really say that. So you keep reading. You'll see what he says. But he entrusts something about the way he lived. And then what will come 50 days after his death and resurrection, right? The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. To do the thing he desired, which was people to become like the rabbi. That was what it meant to be a disciple. A disciple was someone that spent lots of time with the rabbi. They learned to be with them, to become like them, and to do the things the rabbi did. A, 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 a disciple was, uh, their entire lives were transfixed and transformed by pursuing the lifestyle habits, the lifestyle practices, the, the way of speaking and living and communicating so that they can emulate and model and mimic the rabbi they followed. They, they, they knew that that was the point. So when Jesus says, be my disciples, when he calls disciples, they think they're going to be trained to do the things that Jesus did, including healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead. Jesus says in John, he says, um, uh, you will do even greater things than these. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And at that point in the, the book of John, at that point when he says that Jesus had turned water into wine, he healed um, the, the centurion's son, he, he cast out demons, he's, he, uh, he gave sight to the blind, and he, uh, oh yeah, he raised the dead. And whether you debate, you know, the scholars debate, well, greater things means there's greater multitude, there's, there's more of us, therefore there's greater quantity of miracles. Some, are, uh, some debate the quality of miracles. You'll do greater quality of miracles. It doesn't matter. At that point, what we know is his expectation for following him is you will do at least, at least 
the stuff he was doing. At least the things he was up to. I think we have failed to adopt the strategy of Jesus. And if you're like me, and you're realizing now that the expectation that Jesus has for you is to become like him, then Lord Jesus, help me, because I need to change. Anyone want to say amen to that? Like what he's desiring as you become fully trained as a disciple, as an apprentice, his hope for you is to permeate, to ooze out, to use my kid's favorite word right now from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, ooze out the very essence and presence of heaven on earth. That he desires to take your life, yes you, not like the world, you, and to show you how to live your life as if he were there with you. So that in your process of learning over a long period of time, you will not have to look to the bracelet and think, what would Jesus do? That's not the point of discipleship. The point of discipleship is that over a long period of time, you won't have to even think that because you naturally think and pray and do the thing that Jesus would do if he were you in that situation. Do you realize that he wants to trust you to pray any prayer? And he will simply say, yes and amen. Talk about power. Can you imagine for a moment if you became the kind of person that when you did pray, the creator of the universe, I agree with you, yes and amen. That's what he's after. Now that doesn't mean you wield a force. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He's not a force to be wielded. He's a person. He is someone you walk with and learn from. He wants to shape not just how you pray, not just what you pray for. He wants to shape the longings of your desires so that your desires in the utter innermost spaces in your soul are his desires. That's what I mean by discipleship. Because right now, you are, you are at war with the discipleship you have been on in the default setting of the world. Right? You know this. It's Paul in Romans 6 trying to, and 7 navigating it like I do what I don't want to do. It's the reality that you can come here and get wrecked in the presence of God and then go out of here and on Monday morning you're cursing the traffic. You don't have traffic. You're, uh, what do I, how do I, you're upset with your roommate for stealing your food, you know? Cursing your roommate. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus' strategy was discipleship. You can have total transformation. Does anybody want that? Anybody need that? So aware of my brokenness. Every time I preach, just so aware of all the ways that I fail to be the person I know I can be. And I do everything I can to not lose my temper when I have two boys that don't listen. Two kingdoms fighting against each other. It's the word. I named one of them Amos Wild. And I regret that wild part. 
Amos, tranquil, gentle stream. Humble lamb following my way. <laughs> and Ezra Lyon. You, you have, and I'll get, I'm kind of speeding up, but you know, you pray for patience and God gives you children that don't listen. He answers your prayer. You just got to have a lens to see what discipleship looks like. Some of you have this like, I'm going to get discipled by the presence and be in the prayer room 24-7. And I'm for the presence and I'm for 24-7 prayer. But you can do that and still be greedy. You can do that and still lose your temper on your spouse. We have to recognize that it's far more integrated and holistic than that. You all right with that? Some of you are like, I'm done. I can't listen to this guy. It's all about the presence. I, it is. Is that okay? You can, Pastor Jordan can correct this next week, okay? Hey, what time do I need to be done? Tell me real quick, because I'm like half a... All right. I'm going to skip through this. Jesus' strategy was discipleship. Matthew 28, we know this so well. He tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. In, Luke, in Acts chapter 1-8, Luke puts it this way. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. If you look in John's gospel, it's different. In Mark's gospel, it's different. It's, but the essence of it is at the very least continuing as disciples. We are to continue however the gospel writer summarizes it, the life and ministry of Jesus wherever we go. That's the expectation on your life. How are you doing? But it wasn't just Jesus' strategy. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, you see it was the New Testament strategy. Have you ever noticed what Paul does in, uh, when he talks and writes to the church? I'm fascinated by this because I feel like often we just, this is what Dallas Willard calls the great omission. We just, we love to do church fun and games, but we miss the very essence of how the church is formed and how it permeates around the world. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Imagine if the church today had leadership where you could say, just come hang out and you'll see Jesus. Hey, no, you know what? Just, just come hang out. You will learn the way of heaven on earth by just being around. That's what Paul's saying. But he didn't just do it for himself. Look at when he's writing to that same church in Corinth. How many of you know Corinth was messed up? I always hear people like, I want to be the biblical church. I'm like, which church in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, do you want people giving money and lying about the amount and God striking them dead? And then the ushers have to carry them out and bury them. Like the role of the ushers, passing out buckets, handing out welcome cards, burying the dead. I don't want that one. Corinth. No, you don't. So messed up. Corinth, he says this. He's like, okay, look at first, first Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> Paul writes, he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm giving you a podcast and a $9.99 subscription. You can buy it and follow me along. Join this cohort that I have. 
<laughs> Sorry. That's for me. That's not, not for anyone else. I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I'm going to send you my disciple. And he will remind you of what you saw in me when I was with you, that my way of life was congruent with my preaching. Paul's strategy for instructing and leading the church was that his life was something that could be followed. And when he dealt with conflict, he sent people that replicated his life. That wasn't a following of a social media platform for Instagram and for getting excited about the next church conference. It was imitation. That's why Dallas Willard said this. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. Somebody walked in to this church at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, no church context, no understanding of hearing of Jesus, how would they learn to follow him? The New Testament strategy, the New Testament church strategy was to make disciple makers. The Western church strategy is to build organizations with consumer Christians. Are you guys all right? Are we okay? You know, okay, the word, I want to talk about this because I want to hit up on this a couple of more times and then we're going to land and we'll pray and we'll be all right, all right? Because we'll go get dinner. <laughs> the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. How crazy is that? Three times. And you've, I, I actually heard uh, there was an Instagram post of your pastor talking about it. It means little anointed ones. That was you, right? A long time ago? I was like scrolling through. I'm like, what does this guy preach on? Um, <laughs> It means little, like, it was like, first it was a derogatory word, like they're little Christ, little anointed ones. But that word has lost its meaning today. The word in the Bible that's used is disciple for the followers of Jesus, and it's used 268 times. A disciple is an apprentice. It was somebody following the rabbi. And I think it's helpful to understand because what we've created is a culture in the church that consumes Christian stuff rather than lives the, the life of Christ. So I want to give you some ideas that you can play around with. Number one, the difference between radical disciples and consumer Christians. Number one, the radical disciple is someone who lives the word of God and allows scripture to be the authority in directing the affairs of their life. We live in a moment where consumer Christianity shows that these are people that live with their personal experience as the highest authority in decision-making and desires, uh, and desires direct the affairs of their life. So a disciple is someone who lets the Bible speak to the affairs of their life, their decision-making, how they use their money, how they use their time, where they get their identity from, how their sexuality is expressed. Does it come from the Word of God or from culture and personal preference or experience? Is that okay? Can I say that? I'm going to say it. Number two, um, I was going to say I'm not coming back, but I'm coming back tomorrow soon. Number two <laughs> is disciples live the way of Jesus and choose to make other disciples. I think that consumer Christians live the way of the world and culture and choose to consume spiritual goods for the sake of benefiting their own life. 
Um, radical disciples live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Consumer Christians live empowered by the desire for more. They're never content. Radical disciples live in covenanted countercultural community in a local church context. Now stay with me on this one. I think this really resonates, especially for leaders in the church. Uh, consumer Christian live shallow lives with community based on interest and what they get of what they get out of connection to people. If they're a part of a church, they attend irregularly and do so based on the convenience of their schedule. There's no accountability, no commitment, and community often is left as soon as they disagree with somebody. Oh, I added that last part. We all made it through COVID. Praise the Lord. Any pastor that led through COVID, they, they get extra crown jewels in heaven or something like that. I don't know. Either way, the crown's going back to Jesus. But uh, they get... Every pastor I know that has led a church and stayed faithful to the church have additional scars from this last season. No joke. It's everywhere I go. For sure it's here. But we see this shallow allegiance to politics over Christ. In Idaho, it's gonna be, there is going to be a religious spirit in the air next year. And one of the ways you combat this, and you can correct me later, okay? I don't care. Um... The way you combat this is putting your allegiance to Jesus over any other. Yes, absolutely, your faith must work its way into your political perspective in this country, 100%. Right? It, it will always be a politic. The moment you have a couple of people, three people, you're going to have policies, you're going to have rules, you're going to have all these, you're going to need to think through that. But you need to have the scripture, you need to have Jesus and the body of Christ that's bound together, not by a list of confessions, but by the blood and, uh, and the body of Christ. So when you take communion, you're saying, we agree, we're on the same page. This is what unites us. And we got to be united around this. So that's covenanted relationships matter. They live shallow lives with relationships based on personal interests versus covenantal counterculture. All right, number five. Um, is, is this all right? Jordan, are you good? Okay. I've never been here, so I don't know what you, know, what you expect or do. Or, but I love, I love all the hallelujahs and amens I feel right at home. I love it. It's real, I love it. My wife's saying under her breath, you're so sexy right now. Thank you, Darren. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's just in my imagination. She was not saying that. Um, she doesn't use those words. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Live for purposes of God in the world. Consumer Christians live for their dreams and desires. Number six, they live generous and compassionate lives towards others. Number, uh, consumer Christians live selfishly. If they give, it's irregularly with control. Number seven, they live open lives so others can see the way of Jesus through their lifestyle. Number seven, consumer Christians live private and self-focused lives that hide their true lifestyle from others. The only, they only reveal what they have curated for the public to see. In the Gospel of Mark, he uses this literary device over and over again where he contrasts the crowd and the disciples. And it's like one moment the crowd is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then the next moment the crowd is saying, crucify him, crucify him. And the question that he, the way he sets up this tool as a reader of the gospel of Mark is to say, will you be part of the crowd or will you be a disciple? And I would say today the question I have is, will you be a consumer Christian or will you be a disciple? 
And that, that really is dependent upon your commitment to the strategy of Jesus. So I want to invite you as a church to have a holistic approach to what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a church that makes disciples. You need a radical vision. I, oh man, I have this as a note. Look at that. I didn't even have it in here. We need a fresh vision for discipleship. Good point. I know when I say discipleship, you're like, I don't want to sit in any more Bible classes. That's not what I mean. That's not what I'm saying. You need to learn how to be in the presence of Jesus and how to experience radical transformation. My heart for the church is for the church to experience transformation. I, I want the kingdom of God, Jesus says it's here and now. The reality of heaven is at your fingertips. You can taste and see. You can touch and grab it. And for so many of us, we don't have power to transform the things that hold us back. We haven't been brought into a, a, a framework, a worldview of transformation. So Dallas Willard calls it spiritual formation. Have you heard that phrase before? So when I say discipleship, let's say spiritual formation. And he defines it as this. In the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Do you want to permeate with peace? Anybody here want to experience joy that's not forced, but like, like a reservoir of joy? That when that trial hits you, when that sickness comes back, it's not met with despair like the past. It's met with, okay, Lord, how are you going to get me through it? Anybody here need self-control? Like, all the men are like, yes, self-control. Anyone here want to deal with their rage and anger? Anyone here want to be the kind of person that when described by others, Life of the party, life-giving, relaxed. You know, when Dallas Willard was asked, I love this. I, I'm quoting a lot of Dallas tonight. Sorry about that. He formed my view of discipleship. He was asked to describe Jesus in one word. He said, relaxed. Oh. And the, 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 the scholar, Frederick Del Bruner, the New Testament scholar who translates from the original language, all sorts of commentaries, but in the Gospel of John, when John says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, the, the works of the Lord is this, to believe in the one who sent me, that word believe. In the Greek, it's better translated to trust, but the New Testament scholar, Frederick Del Bruner, says a better translation for trust today, a better modern translation is to relax in. That the point of discipleship to Jesus is to relax in Jesus. Anybody want that? Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want for the church, to become the kind of people that experience radical transformation. So I want to give you some practical ways you can grow in this, and then we'll close up with prayer. But here's, here's what I want you to see. I want you to know that transformation is possible, but you need a lens to see it. And I want to break down some, some of the ways we approach it. My experience in the church is we only offer a few ways for people to experience change. Number one, just read the Bible. Right? Like, hey, all you got to worry about is just read Scripture. Just, that's it. Just, like, don't even read books. Just the Word of God will set you free from all the things. 
I love the word of God. I love scripture, but come, that's a little ignorant. Yes, the word is powerful. It, it instructs us in life, but we can use some help. Amen? Because you can be memorizing the Sermon on the Mount and cussing your coworker in the same day. Something's off. Or in the other option is just pray about it. It's the presence culture, the pray more culture. I don't know how to describe it. It's the come forward, let the Holy Spirit zap you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, I've seen this. I, I, we do this in our church. That, not that we get zapped or anything. We don't call it that. I'm just, <laughs> we encounter the presence of God and he brings transformation. How many of you experience transformation from the presence of God? Oh, look at this. Amazing. But how many of you know you can come forward, get wrecked in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can still be filled with gossip? Right? There's still areas of your life that don't permeate the way of Jesus. And that's the reality is that there's something more than just praying about it. There was a time when I was like, I don't know anyone that got radically healed of a, a short temper in a prayer session. And in that meeting, my mom raised her hand and said, actually, Darren, I did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I know one person. And that's a fact. But there, there's something else going on. We need an imagination for transformation. More. It's more than just the scripture. It's more than just pray about it. And for some of us, it's like, don't do anything. We're not going to change anyway. So we'll just get there when heaven comes or when we die or whatever it is and go to heaven. And that, those, that's kind of the strategy the church brings. And I would say AA has more impact on transforming lives than the church in some ways. For those of us that have gone through AA, there's a, there's a process of transformation that's worked for them. And I would like to suggest that the church had that process for the first few hundred years. We need a process. We need an imagination, a framework for it. So what do we do? First, we move from passive consumer Christianity and recognize that we need to be disciples of Jesus. Second, we must commit to becoming a disciple, disciples who make disciples. And, and so how do we do that? We have to see our transformation in Christ as counterformation from culture. And this is the one thing I wanted to give you, that to, discipleship to Jesus is a counterformation that leads to transformation. That you wake up and you're being discipled by culture, so you have to choose to take off the culture and put on that of Christ. How do we do that? Here's, here's some practical ways. This is from John Mark Comer stuff. I recommend it. Check this out. It's my own language. But number one, we move uh, from uh, replacing false beliefs uh, and narratives with true biblical Jesus belief and teaching. So we have to recognize that all of us in here inherently believe things about the way the world works. And we have to take those thoughts captive and we have to say, well, what does Jesus believe about this? So there are things that the, the world will say is, is a fact, but we have to say, no, 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 this is the truth. Right? So it will say, like, uh, you have no power to fix yourself. And you're like, uh, actually, the truth is Jesus has the power to transform me. Or, or this is the final word. Your di diagnosis is the final word. The truth is Jesus has the final word over my health. And we have to, but it's more than that. It's your identity. Your worth is based on what you do and how much money you make and all these things. And we say, no, no, no. The truth is I'm a beloved child of God. I'm more than a conqueror. We have to regularly replace the false beliefs we have to add the true biblical beliefs. Is that okay? Normally, I would take these, these things and make them, I would teach on them every week. So you're getting all of it in like ten, five seconds. So there you go. So this is a process. We have to ongoingly learn. So this is why we need to read scripture. 
This is why we need to meditate on the word of the Lord. We need to understand the beliefs of Jesus. The second thing is we replace unintentional habits with counter practices, spiritual disciplines. You need spiritual disciplines in your lives. We take on the lifestyle habits of Jesus, not because of performance. We're trying to earn favor with God but because these are the things that Jesus did. He, was, he, would, he would preach to the crowds and then he practiced solitude and silence. He would do work and then he would Sabbath. He would uh, disciple in community, and then he would get away in alone time and pray with the Father. You see these habits. He probably fasted Tuesdays and Thursdays, according to much of the tradition. And why would he fast? Um, he starved the flesh to feed the spirit. It's part of a way of training yourself in self-control so that at some point Jesus is on the cross having the worst possible thing happen to him, and his natural response in that moment was, Father, forgive them. He had trained himself with the, the power of the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father. That will not happen on accident. Like, and in the same way for us followers of Jesus, it's like learning the fundamentals of basketball. You want to play basketball? Like the point of doing free throw shots and learning the boundaries and learning, you know, not to double dribble or how to do pass. The point of those things is not to get just good at those things. It's to play the game without thinking about it. And in following Jesus, the point of the spiritual disciplines are not the disciplines in themselves, but it's union with Christ. You guys good? It's all right. Number three, replace casual relationships with covenantal community. You guys are known for your community here. You have a, you have a powerful community. Your, your pastor has shared about it. Everyone I've talked to that has been a part of Riverhouse has talked about the sense of community being transformative. That's a grace, because I don't know if you know this, but there's an, a national health epidemic of loneliness, according to the U.S. Surgeon General in the United States. Came out a couple of weeks, a months ago. But you guys are an antidote to the crisis we face in the United States. Meaningful, loving relationship. We replace just being casual friends with no intimacy to being vulnerable intentionally with one another, exposing our brokenness and encouraging each other into our destiny. That's what biblical community does. If you get married, you see this very quickly. You're exposed. You can't hide your brokenness. And if you have a loving spouse, they will hold you accountable. We need to do that in a community. Hey, you keep saying that you're going to come, and then last minute you cancel. What's going on? Especially the younger generation. You say yes, but you, then you, sh you don't show up in the moment because you decided that you wanted to go somewhere else. We need a kind of community that expects our yes to be yes and our no to be no. Does that make sense? There's a, whole, there's a whole teaching on this, but we have to move from kind of passive connection to deep, intimate, con covenanted community with one another. The fourth thing, and this is a framework for discipleship, is we replace the digital and physical uh, environment as our primary influence to the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God becomes the person and environment that shapes and forms you rather than being formed and shaped simply by um, uh, your surroundings, you're being formed and shaped by the presence of God. And then this happens over a long period of time. And then you allow, number six, you allow the hardships and trials and sufferings to be what we will call the gymnasium of Christ-likeness. So how many of you know that when you're with Christ, James will say, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, 
when you face trials of all sorts of kind. Like he's saying, consider it joy when you go through challenges and hardships. And the book of James will frame discipleship as the primary place of Christ-likeness that you grow in Christ-likeness will be through suffering. So we need to embrace obstacles, embrace suffering, embrace the trials as the CrossFit experience. You know when I say CrossFit, like the intense workout groups, Orange Theory, I don't know if you have that here. Do you guys do CrossFit up here? Is that, is that a big thing, Idaho CrossFit? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. What's like a really hard sport up here that you guys do? Fly fishing. Um, let's... <laughs> I love fly fishing. Hunting, fly, I belong up here, I'm just saying. All the things that, that are de- frowned upon in SoCal, you guys celebrate. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I should wrap it up, we're getting close to the time. Um, I have so much to say, I went too long. Let me just say that here's my invitation. As a church, would you be a people who make disciples? It's that simple. Invite one person into your life and give away whatever it is you've received in Jesus. Can I tell you something? How many of you would love to see the world evangelized? How many of you love missions? You're like, yes. can Can I share with you a statistic that changed my life? If you as a person made one disciple, one disciple every year for 30 years, so that in 30 years, you made 30 disciples. You yourself made 30 disciples. But if every 30 disciples that you had in that same time period of 30 years, just 30 years from now, also followed your example and made a disciple every year, how many disciples would be made in that 30-year period total? Throw out some numbers. A thousand how many? This isn't math class. I don't care if you get, I'm not really good. At, I, I can't even calculate it because it gets too hard. Um, no, I have calculated it. We have a thousand. Anyone want to say more than a thousand? Shout it out. A million. Holy. Would it be worth it for a million to be saved? A million disciples. Do I have you? Over one billion disciples would be made. If you made one disciple a year for 30 years, that's the math. Now, do you see why Jesus' strategy was the right strategy? I want to invite you to make disciples. I don't have a clear ending. I'm just going to pray. I want to, I want to pray for you. I have a lot of things to pray for. So can we all stand together? It's a, a quick, hard landing. But I'm looking at the time I'm like, man, it's getting late, and I want to get to this place. Be disciples who make disciples. Can you guys, let's do this. Can I invite you to open your hands like this, just a posture of openness? Oh, whoa. Oh, you're there. (laughs) Yes, Lord, come on. (laughs) You were so quick. I was not ready. All right, would you close your eyes? And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to minister afresh. I've come here to just bear witness to things that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart for you. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister in power? And in your own seats, and as you stand, would you just say in your head and heart, come Holy Spirit. And we'll just wait for a few moments together. from more of your spirit right now. Release it, Lord. Release your presence over us afresh. Bring freedom into the room, Lord. For those of us that have watched the people come to the front that long for it, would you just pour out your spirit on those right now? 
let us long for more of you. We want, we want more of your presence in our, in your life. We want more of your presence for our parenting, more of your presence for our marriage, more of your presence for our, our work life, more of your presence for those habits we long to see breakthrough in. We pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Release your presence right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm just going to share a bunch of things that I have in my heart for you. And if they resonate, just come forward and stand up here. And then at the very end, our ministry time will come and pray. A couple of things I want to say. I, I, I feel like one of, you know, Jordan shared this testimony. I think there's breakthrough happening around the U.S. for anxiety and depression. So if you're here and you're someone who regularly struggles with mental illness, you have ongoing panic attacks, you're, you, you've read that testimony, you're like, I long for that. I want to pray for you. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing a freedom in anxiety, depression, and sleeplessness. If you have struggle sleeping, the enemy is attacking sleep. And I feel like Jesus wants to give rest. So come down. I know it's hard. It's awkward to share that or to expose yourself. But we want to see the Holy Spirit move in power and break off the anxiety and the mental illness. And look, I'm all for therapy. You should go to therapy. I'm not saying get off medication. I'm just saying, why not come to the Lord and see if you would be touched? So Holy Spirit, come. Uh, I think there's some young people here that are going to make a commitment to make disciples. Would you come forward? I feel like the Lord, I feel like this house is going to release lots of pastors, but it's going to start in the youth. I don't know if there's youth in this room, but I feel like the Lord's stirring a discipleship in you. Like you're like, one day when I get older, no, right now, the Holy Spirit's going to equip you and empower you for making disciples of your, of your generation. So we just want to pray a release of that courageous spirit that you wouldn't wait until you get older. You give away an inch of the kingdom that God's given you. You don't wait until you have miles stored up. You give away what little you have right now. And so the Lord's going to release that hunger for a discipleship culture. Um, I also feel, and this is just a word in general for the, the church in the West. He's wanting the church to be miraculous. Now hang on for one moment. I want to just speak to this. I think there are specific miracles you haven't prayed for yet. And the Lord's waiting on you. The Lord's waiting on you to be specific. And um, there's a story I just want to share. It's from Brendan Manning. He tells a story of when Arnold Palmer, the golfer, um, went to Saudi Arabia years ago for an exhibition golf match. And the king of Saudi Arabia was so impressed with Arnold Palmer, he sent a messenger. And he said uh, he's going to give Arnold Palmer a gift. The messenger says that to Arnold Palmer. He's like, no, just playing here is a gift enough. He's like, no, you have to receive a gift. It would be dishonoring to the king if you didn't give you a gift. And he's like, okay, I'll just take a golf club. And so the next morning, uh, he gets on a knock on the door, and he opens an envelope with a deed to a 36-hole golf club. It was a golf course with 36 holes, with fountains and waters and springs in the name of Arnold Palmer. And he gave him a gift of a golf club. There was a mistranslation. And the point or the moral of the story is when you're in the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. God's waiting for the miracle for you to be courageous, to go with boldness. So some of you are here and there's a miracle in your heart. Just come forward and let's be specific. Is it a job? What kind of job? How much money is it? How, what industry is it in? How many days a week? Where is it? Is it a health crisis you've walked? Let's go. Let's go to the Lord. He's waiting for it. I believe this with all my heart. We're seeing miracles upon miracles, but the people of God got to go for it. So let's just go to the Lord with expectation of his provision. He is a good father wanting to give good gifts. So Holy Spirit, would you just come right now and release your ministry upon us?
ministry team come and lay hands. Begin. If you came up and the ministry team starts praying for you, would you just tell them what the specific prayer is? You're like, I need to see this thing happen. Be specific. What is it? What time and how long? You need a job how, in the next month. Let's just start getting specific with our prayers. speak to a couple of you and he's saying keep going your reward is with him can we just pray just keep praying I just want to pray for healing why not I'm why not you know (laughs) can we pray for those some of you have TMJ like your jaws popping all the time would you come forward we want to pray that God would heal the the jaw. I actually think there's there's a young person who's called to preach him at TMJ. Who is that? Called to pastoral ministry. Your jaw pops. Anyone here? Would you wave so I can see? Is that you? I feel like, would you just come forward? We can pray for you. I feel like the Lord's saying, like Samson, you're going to use a jawbone of a donkey. He's going to use your mouth to slay men and women. Like you're going you're gonna to release the spirit of God um, in humility. Is this for you too? Can we lay hands on these two right here and just ask that your jaw would be healed and that you would begin stepping out? Can we have someone? It's this guy right here in this one. sleeping medication because you've had a really hard time sleeping. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now. You have to, you have a really hard time sleeping at night. Would you raise your hand? Father, we just release rest over our brothers and sisters that the mind would rest at night, that there would be no anxiety about whether or not you would sleep when you go to sleep, that in the name of Jesus, you would start sleeping through the night without any help, that your body would be fully restored and relaxed as it rejuvenates in sleep. I pray against any attack from the enemy in Jesus' name. I pray that the, those that have started having sleep problems during COVID, it was a work of the enemy. We, we bind the enemy in Jesus' name. We pray rest over this church in Jesus' name. Um, I think some of you that are up at night, you have a wild imagination. The Lord's going to give you dreams at night and you need to, you're going to start interpreting dreams, but you're going to have dreams and you need to write them down. The Lord's going to, Lord, speak to you. As a church, he's going to increase. Lord, we just release the ministry of the Spirit in this church. Release the gifts. In Jesus' name, more of you, Lord.
miracles in this church. Are there missionaries in the room? Visiting missionaries? Just wave until if... Are you a missionary? Yeah. Hey, we have... You're a missionary too? Where are you at? You go all over? Can we pray for the missionaries? If there's, Can we get the missionaries up here? Riverhouse, you got to be ready to send. You're, gonna, you're a sending church, an apostolic resourcing hub. It means you need to have imagination beyond the local. You need to have imagination for the global that your ministry will translate into other contexts because the Lord has made it his wish. And this is what you have. So you're going to be good at hosting missionaries and releasing missionaries sending teams globally to just carry the culture you have here that by sending people it will be life-giving to the places you go because what you carry here will be a gift so let's just release pray can I have some people who are passionate about the nations come lay hands on these missionaries we just want to pray Lord would you release missionaries out of this church Where's the other one? We, we bless the work God's doing through you. We pray, God, I pray for financial blessing over you, miss, that God, you wouldn't have to worry about fundraising, that you've been called by the Lord. He saved you in a dramatic way, and he's reminding you of your call, and I pray you feel released to be obedient to the call in your life. Since you were a little girl, you had imagination for what God was going to do, and he's just reminding you of those things right now. We pray that you'd be resourced and sent in Jesus' name. We pray against opposition in the context you go to. Pray health over you and protection in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We just bless the missionaries, the sent ones. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we can have complete healing in the room, Lord. Just release all ailments physical healing and pain go out in Jesus name peace of the Lord over you right now hey so for those of us that are just lingering and hanging out I'm not sure what you normally do but this is this is totally awesome right that we can be a, a kind of community where some of us are, are just hanging out, not experiencing anything per se. Others are crying on their face, being healed. And this is what it means to be church. How great is that? How great is it to be a part of a community that believes God is still alive and wants to minister to each other through each other? Some of you are like, I don't know if this is from the Lord. It might not be from the Lord. Some of you are like, yes, we want more. Can we just be gracious to each other? Stop judging each other and just enjoy the time we have. Where's my man? Was Jordan here? Great. If you haven't received prayer and you came up for prayer, would you just raise your hand so we can have our ministry team come around and lay hands on you if you haven't? Receive prayer, but you came up for prayer. Would you just raise your hand and we'll have someone lay hands on you? You good? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand this over. Okay, okay. I can, okay. I can soft close. All right. If you want to go and have dinner, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, we're just gonna linger.
if you want to come forward and receive prayer and there was no one, there's no word for you, just come forward. Let me tell you something. I, I was not a charismatic. I grew up cessationist. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about this tomorrow. And, and then encountered the Lord. And so when I was looking to be filled with the Spirit, I would go to these random churches where that would pray for people. And I would go to church. I would come forward for everything. They'd be like, hey, we're praying for redheaded pregnant women. Come down. And I'd be the first one down because I'm like, I want God's presence. I don't know where to go. This is the only place that's praying for people. So if you're here and you want more of God's presence, just come forward. The worst thing that's going to happen is someone's going to pray for you with bad breath. That's the worst thing, I promise, okay? Next week, we'll have mints up front. That's it. And then it won't happen. Just kidding. So if you want prayer, just come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Yes, Lord, I thank you for the hunger. I thank you for the humility. We ask for more of you, Lord, right now. We ask for more of your presence. Pour out your spirit upon us. We pray for our hearts to be available and open to what you want to do. That you would release in us just a longing for your presence, God, to experience transformation. Thank you, Lord.